Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. All right, there in your bulletin, as well as on the screen, you'll find a couple of readings. Uh, first, from Acts 1. You got Acts 1 back there? There we go. First, from Acts 1, and then from Luke 24. Uh, these two, you'll notice a great similarity uh, between them, and I'm going to say a little bit about that in my sermon. But I invite you first to hear from Acts 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the time or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The gospel lesson from Luke 24. Again, you'll hear a lot of similarities here. Then he, being Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in the name of all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them. He was carried up into heaven. They worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple, blessing God. May God bless our reading of these holy scriptures, and let us say together, Amen. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy God, it is with grateful hearts that we worship today. We can sense your presence among us and with us as we have gathered and sang songs and made our gifts. Certainly we have experienced the power of the Spirit as we have confirmed and celebrated along with these young disciples, these believers. We ask God that your Spirit would be near to them in this moment and in many moments to come, that they would know your love and grace even more profoundly as they move through their life, as they learn to follow you more deeply. God, we give thanks for the work of Scripture, for the testimony that's contained in these sacred words. Even as we read them now, we sense your Spirit speaking to us. May it be so today that we hear again your word for us, that we respond to this word according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
If you have seen the movie Hoosiers, this opening illustration is going to go a little more smoothly. If you haven't seen it, maybe you're younger and this one hasn't come up for you yet, I'll try to explain a little bit of the backstory. Hoosiers is about the 1950s high school basketball team in rural Indiana where they take their basketball very seriously. Uh, the team, the town, has hired a new coach, uh, Dale Normandale, Coach Dale. Normandale uh, comes to serve in the community as the high school basketball coach and history and civics teacher. He's a little bit of an unconventional coach. He, he does some things to draw the ire of the team and the community. Uh, he encourages them to pass it four times before they shoot it. He makes them play a real kind of slow and methodical defense. Uh, he gets thrown out of a couple of games, so things are not going well uh, in his first few weeks there at the beginning of the season. Then he does something that, em that emboldens other people to be even more frustrated with him. He hires the local town drunk, essentially, this alcoholic man named Shooter. He hires him to be his assistant coach. With one stipulation, of course, that he quit drinking, that he sober up, that he lead a clean life. And so Shooter, who happens to be the father of one of the players, joins him as assistant coach on the condition that Coach Dale doesn't get thrown out of any more games, right? That's their agreement. You stay clean and sober, I won't get thrown out of any more games, and we will coach together, right? Well, a few games into this arrangement, during a close game, a competitive game, in the final moments, uh, Coach Dale goes to the referee and argues a little bit, and then he leans in and he says, throw me out. Throw me out or I'm going to act crazy, right? And the referee says, well, that's what you want. And so he tosses the coach out, leaving Shooter, the unexperienced assistant, to lead the team in the final moments of this very close critical game, right? It's a wonderful scene here. It's got this old high school gym feel. He's got the, the rolled up coach's paper as they lean in, preparing for the final plays, trying to win the game. Do you remember this scene? He tells them, boys, we're going to run the picket fence, right? We're going to run the high screen. We're going to come around. The shot will be open. We'll make the shot. We'll win the game. And then he ends his little inspirational moment by saying this, don't get caught watching the paint dry. Do you remember that scene? Don't get caught watching the paint dry. In other words, boys, this is our moment, right? This is our moment. Don't get caught standing still. Don't get caught looking at other people and seeing what's going on. Now, it's a goofy sort of sports movie. Of course, the play works. The shot goes in. They win the game. Everyone celebrates. It's a great scene, though, because it really exemplifies what all good uh, teachers and coaches and leaders and managers, bosses, people who are in authority, they, they all know that someday there will come a time, there will come a moment where they need to hand off some of the work and some of the responsibility to those they've been training, right? That's part of leadership is to train the people who come behind you, to equip them, and to one day empower them, right? So in this funny scene where the head coach gets thrown out, he's really getting thrown out so that his players and so this sort of unknown assistant coach can, can grow into this moment themselves. And it's a great moment. The, the coach kind of finds his voice. He gives them the right play. Don't get caught watching the paint dry. We all sort of celebrate together, right? This is one of the goals of leadership is to empower those who are under your care so that they can grow into the, the people, right? Go into the, the work and the tasks that they've been called to do themselves. Where are we at today in the Christian year and in the Christian story? Well, I'll just remind you, of course, it seems like a lifetime ago to me. So many things have been going on, but it wasn't so many weeks ago that we were celebrating Easter. Easter, of course, the high holy day of the year, Christ's resurrection. The gospel stories then tell a pretty consistent narrative about how things unfold after Easter. We have this pattern 40 days later. You heard it as I was reading just a moment ago. 40 days later, for 40 days, Jesus is resurrected and with the disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, uh, helping, to, helping them to understand the scriptures. 40 days more of teaching and guidance with his closest followers. 
And then after that 40 days is the story that we have read today, the ascension, the ascension. This is the end of the story of Jesus as we know it. This is the end of, of Jesus' ministry where he is lifted up. Right? It says that he's lifted up, he ascends into the clouds, into heaven, and he returns to this heavenly place, right? This heavenly place of authority. And then we get 10 more days where we get Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter in total, that 40 and 10 together. Pentecost Sunday is next Sunday where we celebrate the, the birth of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church. Today, though, is the, the day where we recognize and remember the story of the Ascension. Now, I'll remind you, today we read from Luke and Acts and did that on purpose, right? Luke and Acts are written by the same author. The same person wrote both Luke and Acts. It's kind of a volume one and a volume two. Luke contains the ministry of Jesus, the life, the teachings of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the beginning of the church. And so the story of Jesus and the story of the church. And the thing in the middle there, the thing that holds Luke and Acts together is the story we just read, the Ascension. The ascension is the last thing that Luke tells in the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And then the ascension is the first thing that Luke tells at the beginning of Acts. He sort of tells the same story twice. Jesus was with them and teaching, and then suddenly he was lifted up and returned to heaven. Now, I promised the staff that I would preach shorter today because we had more things going on in church than we usually do. So I won't go too long, but I want to say a little bit about some of the themes that are coming out here in the Acts version of the Ascension and how I think it relates to part of what's going on here today in church. The first thing you should notice is just that opening phrase. Luke says in Acts 1, he's writing to Theophilus. Theophilus, that's kind of a funny word. People have often wondered, is Theophilus an actual person? Is that really someone's name? Is Luke writing to a real person? If you translate the Greek there, Theo means God, Philus, Philo means love. So really that name says like God lover, right? To the one who loves God. So it may be that Theophilus was a real person that Luke was writing to, but, but most people think that this is just sort of a phrase he's using. He's writing to all of us, right? To the one who loves God, to those who love God. And then he recaps a little bit of the Luke story, the gospel story, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, how there was a promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he tells that final scene around the ascension once more. Notice in verse 6, this is really a, a key point, a critical point. As Jesus is offering his final instructions, he's preparing to be ascended to return to heaven, what did the disciples ask him? Is now the time when you will restore Israel? Is now the time? Is this it, Jesus says? Have we come to the moment, your, your death, your resurrection, these 40 days of teaching, preparing for this, and is this the moment where, where Israel will rightly receive power and authority, will, will no longer be under the thumb of, of Roman authorities? Is this the time when you will restore Israel? Willie Jennings, he's a, a New Testament uh, theologian, professor. He, he calls this the nationalist question, right? And in this question, we get a sense of what the disciples are, are worried about. They're worried about their place in the world and, and their community, their tribe, their people, their religion, their tradition. It's, it's, it's sort of a selfish question, right? What about us, Jesus? If you're leaving us, surely now you're going to restore us, right? Surely now we will have all the things we've been promised, of course, Jesus really quickly refutes that question. He says, oh, that's the wrong question. Instead, you should be thinking about it like this. You're going to go back to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to go from Jerusalem out to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
I want you to hear just the dichotomy there between the disciples' question and Jesus' response. The disciples' question is a sort of narrow question, right? It's a question about us, our community, our tradition. What about us, Jesus? What, when are you going to do this thing that we've been waiting on for us and for our people? And Jesus responds, no, 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 no. This is not just about Israel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing that's been happening, this revolution that's happened, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this movement is going to go from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even in his final moments, even in these last few minutes with the disciples, they're still thinking too narrow about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do, and he's calling them to see the big picture. This is about all nations everywhere, all people. Finally, on verse 9 there, Jesus is ascended. It just sort of happens, right? All of a sudden, as Jesus is speaking, he's lifted up into heaven. That was probably a hard moment for the disciples. They had spent so much time with Jesus to have him gone from them in this way. felt like a little bit of a loss or an absence. I think it's good, though, here to remember just the the true nature and scope of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is, is Lord of all, right? He's not just friend and teacher of the disciples. If we go to to verses like John 1, it talks about how Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was before and above everything. Uh, In Colossians, it talks about how Jesus is the Lord of all the powers. So really in the ascension, it's not about Jesus leaving the disciples so much as it is about about Jesus returning to this rightful reign. Returning to the right hand of God the Father, Lord of all the cosmos. And so in verse 9 in the ascension, we see Jesus back on his throne. Now then we have this really weird thing, two men in white robes, right? Two men in white robes. We've heard that in another place. You remember the Easter story? They go to the tomb. The tomb is empty. Where is Jesus? Where have you laid him? And there are men there in white robes, maybe angels. There's something kind of similar in the transfiguration story. They go up and Jesus is lifted up and, and Moses and Elijah are there. Not really angels, but they're kind of there as these holy, holy prophets, We don't really get an explanation, just these two men in white robes. But they turn to the disciples who have just watched Jesus be taken up to heaven. They turn to the disciples and they say, what are you staring at? (laughs) He's gone back to heaven. He's gone back to be on his throne of power. What What are you looking at? What are you waiting for? What did Jesus tell you to do? He told you to go back to Judea. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll go, from, go back to Jerusalem. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We see in this ascension moment the great temptation for the disciples is perhaps a temptation we sometimes share in to sort of watch and wait on Jesus. Where did he go? What's he going to do next? He's like, a, he's like a superhero. He's like an action figure. Like we're sort of waiting on him like Batman, right? If we put up the right signal, like Jesus might appear and do something spectacular. And these two men in white robes, they tell us, disciples, no, that's not, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that he's sending you You are going to be the witnesses. You are going to go forth and take this this message, this ministry, this gospel of reconciliation. You are going to do the work of sharing this good news. Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, of course, Confirmation Sunday is a day of great celebration for our church, for our local church, to receive these new folks as members officially. It's a great day of celebration for Christ Church. This is the bigger picture than just our church right this is the church of jesus christ that continues to call people to faithfulness and to response and so as our confirmants have just made vows they've they've promised right that they're going to follow jesus 
They're going to honor their, their calling and they're going to live lives that reflect who Jesus is and they're going to try to spread that good news to all they encounter. I hope you see that that same sort of commissioning that began at Jesus' ascension, as Jesus returns to heaven, he sends the disciples forth. That same work continues here today. And it's my responsibility and my joy to remind you that that same work continues for you as well. Some of you may have taken faith commitments at a, a, a many years ago at a much younger age, maybe at confirmation, maybe at baptism, maybe at another church. But I hope you hear in our young people today, I hope you hear echoes of your own faith commitments. You are joining with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to take this good news to the ends of the earth. This faith, this thing we do here as Christians is not a spectator sport, right? It is one in which we all join and participate. We share in the responsibility to spread this good news. And so the confirmands know and have affirmed today that they will join Jesus in this work and this ministry. And it's my joy to remind you that you've also been called, you've also been employed by Jesus to be a witness to this good news to the very ends of the earth. Or as Shooter told the players there, don't get caught watching the paint dry. Follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit wherever he sends you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we do give thanks for those faithful disciples, those early believers who responded to Jesus' call. We stand on their shoulders, generations of people who have been commissioned and sent by Jesus in the power of the Spirit to spread this good news. Oh God, that we might have the courage, the courage that our confirmands have showed today, to respond to this call on our lives, not just to watch and to admire you as our Lord, but to be used by you in the power of your Spirit. May this be our prayer today, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.